Kids Don't Stop on the Weekend. <laughs> From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Terra Informa. Have you planted a garden yet this year? Planting season, for me, usually starts by looking through miscellaneous seed packages in questionable condition that live in the bottom of a dusty Ziploc bag. And then, of course, the inevitable waiting and hoping that something will actually grow. We might think of seeds as something that are easily picked up from a hardware store or our local greenhouse. But understanding seeds is the starting point of connecting to our food and who grows it, and to the process of growing our own food. My name is Charlotte Thomason. And I'm Andrea Miller. We'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental stories and ideas. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was produced in Treaty 6 territory in Amiskwichi, Wiskaigan, Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton. Our home studio, CGSR 88.5 FM, broadcasts from unrecognized Papa's Chase territory, a people who were displaced by the efforts of colonists and colonial governments. Not confined to history, this region is also the present homeland of many First Peoples who build their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together, including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you are on. This week, we're talking about seeds and seed saving. Seeds are the foundation of all things that grow and sustain us, and they originated as a common resource, not something controlled by corporations or colonial governments. To save seeds is to save food culture, and seed keeping can be a way to connect indigenous communities with ancestral or culturally significant crops, and to further efforts towards indigenous food sovereignty. Seed saving is the process of allowing a plant to mature and go to seed and then harvesting the seeds to store and save for the next planting season. With monocultures and cash crops of the modern industrial agriculture system, small-scale seed saving is a way to preserve agro-biodiversity, the diversity of genes, plant varieties, crop species, and even farming methods. More genetic diversity means more plants that are disease-resistant, drought-tolerant, and more resilient to other environmental stressors. This week, we're talking seeds with Denise O'Reilly, the head of operations at Abunar Seeds. Abunar grows organic, open-pollinated, and heirloom seeds that you can save and store to plant again next year. They offer an ever-changing catalog of over 1,500 seed varieties, for vegetables, fruits, and flowers, suitable for short seasons in various growing regions. We started, uh, we being me mostly, uh, started our interest in gardening, well, early on in my life. My family's always been on this piece of property. It's a fourth generational farm in northern, northwestern central Alberta. We're just northwest of Edmonton, about one hour. My great-grandparents' homesteaded here on Treaty 6 territory in uh, 1914, I believe. And uh, officially 1917 is when they uh, took out uh, deed on the land. So 
Um, it's been in my passed down through the women in my family and uh, my husband is from BC. We met there years ago. Well, we actually met in Alberta firefighting, but we decided to move back from BC where we were living in about 2001. Um, out there, I was experimenting a little bit with more gardening because obviously you can grow way more stuff in the Okanagan than you can here. Um, and so that was my first kind of eye-opening experience about what plants do if they're left in the ground over winter and they survive and they put seed up the next year. So Swiss chard was the start of it, I would have to say. Um, carrots and beets are something we can do here quite easily, but I didn't really know about that from my family's past. I remember my grandmother collecting her own pea seeds and beans and that kind of thing, but it never really hit me until that time. So when we, about that time also, that was uh, 96 or so, I had young kids. I was doing a lot of my own gardening, food preserving, always done that kind of thing. And I thought, well, seeds is a really important aspect of that. And uh, about that time, there was a bit of industry movement towards patenting seeds, taking seed security away from the people. And I just knew something had to be done. That's kind of where I started. And so I would say it was about 2003 that I took it to people, started to create seeds that people could buy. We started going just small events. And of course the Seeds of Diversity Canada has all kinds of cross country events that we started in Edmonton and Calgary about that time. And it's just grown from there. Um, my love of seeds has grown immensely. I have so much respect for them as as uh, vital material, plant material and intelligence. And so we um, continue to expand what we offer. We focus in on people really that want to do that for themselves, that are interested in seed security for themselves and their families. And my goal is just to get them started just to give them a little, a few seeds that they can do something with in the amount that they, uh, of land that they have in their capacity to grow and to foster that uh, love of growing in, in people that are of that mind. Before the 1970s, the seed industry consisted of thousands of independent and family-owned seed sellers. But since then, the conventional seed industry has experienced rapid consolidation. In the 1980s, agrochemical corporations began to buy out these small seed sellers. Today, this industry has transformed, so only a handful of multinational agrochemical companies now dominate the global seed market, including Monsanto, DuPont, and Syngenta. As these corporations have expanded, they have eroded long-standing practices of seed saving practiced by farmers. One common method used by large agrochemical companies is producing hybrid seeds, which means they are cross-pollinated and bred specifically for traits like resistance to pests and disease or earlier maturity. Companies are actually able to patent these hybrid seed varieties which can act as a legal mechanism preventing farmers from saving seeds. This means that farmers are forced to buy these hybrid seeds year after year for the success of their crop, rather than being able to save their own heirloom varieties. All of this has meant higher seed prices, greater expenses for farmers on seeds and other inputs, 
and less seed saving. You talked about seed security and the sort of issues with the conventional seed industry and some concerns that farmers are raising around the fact that few companies are controlling use and access of seeds and sort of limiting farmers' ability to, to access their seeds. So could you talk a little bit more about the issues of the sort of conventional seed industry that we're seeing and why it's important to think differently about where, we, where we're buying our seeds? For me, I remember my great-grandparents were um, really involved in seed. They grew crops, they had turkeys, they had beef, they had everything that farms back then had. They were very self-sufficient. And so in those days, you grew a crop, you saved part of that seed, you sold the rest that you didn't need, and that was your profit for the year kind of thing. And there was no license on that. There was no problem with that. There was a lot of incentive then for farmers to create seeds that worked on their land. And as the years have progressed, it's kind of become this situation where um, seeds are, are patented and have been developed. There's been a lot of money going into seeds that are geared towards massive crop production where they can withstand pesticides, herbicides, chemicals, those kinds of things. A lot of people may not know how much chemical actually goes into producing those crops. And uh, I think it's a bit of a buy-in that farmers have gone for because it's big money. There's big money in fertilizer, there's big money in seed. Not a lot of profit back to farmers even to this day. At Abunar, Denise offers heirloom and open-pollinated seeds as a response to these concerns about the corporate seed system and as a way to keep seed security in the hands of farmers and growers. Heirloom seeds are those whose genes have stayed constant for at least the last 50 years without their genetic material being altered. Open-pollinated seeds are varieties that have been pollinated naturally by birds, insects, humans, Howdy. or even the wind. But for me, um, seed security, it comes back to the patents. And um, that's why I do heirloom and open pollinated seeds, um, open source seeds as well. Those are seeds where people have made open source projects where they are doing plant development in a natural way but no one owns the patent on those seeds and they're not ever patentable. And so, you know, most seeds out there, the the hybrids are great. I mean, I'm not gonna knock them. Um, Some are created in very natural ways. They're just crossing two parent lines and you get a, a superior second generation or first generation, that's fine. But when we start Mickey Mousing with lab tech and not making reproducible seeds, that's a problem for food security. And that's where we should be concerned. So heirlooms and open pollinated are seeds that you get them, you plant them, you save them. They're going to be the same generation to generation to generation. So hybrid seeds, I guess, don't allow the farmer to save the seeds year after year because there's that issue with the patent. So there's patented seeds where uh, they're not necessarily hybrids, but they could be. A hybrid is any seed that has become a, a new seed from a cross between two parent lines. And the cross may not look like any of the parent lines. 
it's created for a targeted purpose. So in the case of corn, a lot of times they take a really good producing corn over here, but the color of the one that they want, and they keep narrowing those parent lines until they get exactly that gene expression in that parent line. And then they will take the two together so they get the productivity and they get the color for in this case. You can do that with any of the traits that you would like, but there's such gene suppression in doing that specifically with corn that when you get the cross, that next generation of that cross is a vibrant and really strong plant because it's like, whoa, it's kind of like released from prison. And, uh, but the problem is then if it's only done that way, you know, with that natural crossing and that natural narrowing, that's fine. You can save seed from that hybrid, but it won't look like the one that you grew. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. It's planting season, and this week, we're learning about the world of seeds and seed saving with Denise O'Reilly at Abunar Seeds. It sounds like, I mean, I looked at your catalog and you carry such a, you know, beautiful, extensive variety of seeds. I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about some of the seeds that you offer and maybe some of your favorite or some of the seeds that have a really great story behind them. Sure, I could do that. Well, as I said, it started off with just a very few varieties, which we still carry. You know, our, our catalog um, kind of extends and expands rather than becoming a different thing every year. Because there are those tried and true varieties that really, really work. They worked for our great grandparents and they'll work for us. And they also, plants are so incredible as they express and adapt even to the climate that they're growing in or the soil conditions or the, you know, if there's drought one year, they they can change their expression to respond to those pressures. And that's what I really like about heirlooms. Um, so having said that, I guess, you know, an heirloom is classified as a seed that's been around for 50 years or more with basically the same traits, the same characteristics. Knowing that a plant can adapt, if I grow one here for 50 years and you grow one in Eastern Ontario, it's not going to be the same plant anymore. It's going to be more or less the same, but it's obviously going to ex expand its genetics based on the environment. So the ones that I love, 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 because they're so different is beans. Like there are so many different kinds of beans. I think um, they're so good for us. You know, they're such a great source of fiber and all those other things, but it's not something people here really think about eating a lot. But beans are very, very colorful, like especially the dry beans and, and even the ones that you grow for green beans, the seed is so colorful. It's just like uh, little beads that are all different and it's just really special. And corn can be like that too. And there's a lot of concern about GMO corn, but there's a lot of sweet corn that we can grow here that's even in our short season, we can get excellent harvests off of. And they can be all different colors as well. There's different corn that people grow for, you know, soup use or grinding or 
polenta or hominy or so many variations on that food itself that can be all different colors as well beautiful 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 corn as we know if you've seen glass gem you know what i'm talking about and those are a little bit longer season but we can do a lot to kind of start those early and and nurture them along so that they do produce for us here and my goal is really to get some of those longer season corns shortened down so that we can actually have something we can work with here if we want to add those to our diet so i love the mandan bride corn i have one called uh, lavender flint which is a light kind of purpley uh, color on the kernel. There's all different kinds of popcorns that we can grow here from Dakota Black to Pink Beauty to Tom Thumb, which only gets, the cobs get to be about this big, but it always produces here. The plants are only about two and a half, three feet tall, and they get two or three little cobs on them, and they always ripen here. So you can leave them on the cob and pop them off the kernel in the microwave, or, you know, it's just, it's so fun. It's so interesting to hear about the different unique purposes of each seed variety. You know, a tomato that's better suited for eating raw or, a, you know, corn that's better suited for popcorn. I just, I imagine you have such a depth of knowledge of those different purposes of, this, of the seed varieties. Well, and we're told to eat the rainbow, right? So, I um, mean, as far as peppers, there, there isn't just orange, green, red, or, you know, um, there's purple, there's, you know, all the hot peppers come in all different flavors and all different colors, all different shapes. You know, there's tomatoes, again, all spectrum of the rainbow. And, you know, some people are very set, like my mother is one of them. <laughs> and I love her, but she's like, if a tomato is purple, it's just not right, you know? So... I love purple tomatoes and I love orange ones. They're the, some of the best tasting you could ever imagine. And that's the other thing about plant breeding going with tomatoes is a lot of people it's like, I, it just doesn't taste like a tomato. And what's actually happened is that they bred for uniformity, they bred for um, stability on the shelf, shipping, all those kinds of things. And they've actually bred taste out of the tomatoes so now they're trying to breed it back in you know well just stick with an heirloom and you've got it all there already you talked a little bit about this but maybe you can share more why it's important to sort of preserve that like seed diversity and that plant diversity why is like a declining biodiversity potentially a threat to our food system well, uh, I think it's in it, that expression again. Um, we want to create resilient seeds. We want to create ones that are adaptive and can survive without our care, really. Um, so if you came to my farm, you would see it is not pristine. The rows are not all nice and weeded and everything like everybody thinks their garden should be in. And I think that we need that spectrum Plants work together, they work in symbiosis. Obviously they don't want to be choked out when they're growing, but if the conditions are there for them to kind of struggle to survive a little bit, it actually enhances what they bring to their fruits because they want naturally to go on to the next generation as well. 
So they're going to be stronger. The seeds are going to be more adaptive. If you let things go a little bit, if you if you wait to water until, you know, they're dried out a little bit, but not wilting, obviously. Those kinds of things we can build in hardiness, all those kinds of, of traits that we want. The problem I see is is sometimes, you know, is a big crop out in a field that's all a monocrop, all one kind, can be really subject to disease, which spreads through the crop like wildfire, or uh, pests that come and decimate the crop really easily. You know, they're, they're looking at it as, well, we'll just add this ingredient to the plant to kill the pests. That's not really the idea. I understand why they're doing it. They're trying to grow on a massive scale, blah, blah, blah. But we, we as people, we're not in that system. And there's actually more of us than there is of those farmers. So we, we one want to support the farmers that are growing food if we can't grow it for ourselves in the way that we would like to support them in growing. Um, so if you can't, you know, have that big enough space, then try to develop that relationship. But two, if we don't keep the seeds, no one else is going to do it. We have to be the ones that take action for ourselves in whatever capacity we, we can to have that special lettuce that maybe great grandma had to keep it alive. Because if we don't continue to grow it, it's lost. It's gone forever. Education around seed saving is important to ensure that this knowledge is shared so people can continue to practice it and that these special plant varieties can still be enjoyed. Denise tells us some of her tips for how you can start saving your own seeds for yourself or your community. Seeds have a definite shelf life and we need to keep renewing those seeds and keep expanding and sharing and growing because I'm only one person and I'm going to only do this for so long and then it has to be up to someone else because it is a big job to keep thousands of seeds going so that they're viable. So I'd rather share it to people and have them continue and share in their own capacity so that those seeds are out there. Or if I have a crop failure one year, then somebody's growing it somewhere where those seeds are still there. Yeah, that was kind of one of my questions. It seems like education and sharing that knowledge is really a big part of the work that you do. What are some of maybe those tips that you have that we can share with our listeners who want to try seed saving for themselves or even just to encourage them to shop small for their seeds. I would suggest seek out heirlooms or open pollinated as much as you can. Do a little research on that. Also question or put in a phone call to the people that you're buying your seeds from and find out who they are, what their philosophy is, what they're trying to accomplish. And maybe where, if they grow the seeds themselves or they buy them from a bulk producer overseas, because that's going to matter in how those seeds perform for you the first year. Going forwards, it will improve with your conditions, but it is having seeds that are grown here already gives you that head start on that they're acclimatized to this system. So the other aspect of that, if you're going to buy a bulk of seeds, the best way 
to store them is in double Ziploc bags in the freezer and keep them there until you want to plant the next year. Take the bag out of the freezer, but let it come to completely room temperature before you open the bag. Seed viability is dependent on moisture and light. So if you can mitigate those two items and keep them as dark and as cold as you can, it mimics nature's natural winter cycle and it puts them into hibernation and they will store the longest then. Just share what you have. And, and that's another big part of what I try to teach people is come into a community around that. Try to, you know, find people that are like-minded and say, okay, well, you have this lettuce and you do that seed this year and we'll share and then next year I'll do this lettuce and we'll just keep it going that way. Uh, because plants produce more than enough seed for you for the time that you will need those seeds to be viable. Seed Saving fosters seed exchange networks where farmers, growers, and seed enthusiasts can get together and swap their local seeds, showcase new varieties, and share knowledge. Seedy Saturdays are one example of this type of network. The first Seedy Saturday was held in Vancouver, and now volunteers in Edmonton, where we are, organize Seedy Weekends. Gatherings that encourage seed saving and sharing, support the distribution of open pollinated seeds, and build community. There's sort of a growing community, I would say, maybe, of seed sharers and seed exchange networks. Are you a part of any networks like that? Maybe Edmonton CD Sunday, folks like that. Maybe you could share a little bit about why that's important to be a part of. Uh, Edmonton CD Sunday is a great group of women and they do a lot. There's the Edmonton Native Plant Society that is more to do with native plants and preserving some of those that are being lost. There's different community efforts, I think. You know, if you have a community garden, for instance, that's an easy place to start where a bunch of people could form those kinds of relationships. I could say a lot about the lockdown, but I guess the one thing that is happening is that maybe we can form these social relationships via Zoom uh, and get everybody together almost easier than we could in the past because we can, we can come at a time that's handy for everybody. Everybody knows how to do it now. Uh, you can tap into so many other groups. I'm always willing to come out and share seed-saving knowledge with anybody that wants me to talk anytime, just to get them started. I'm trying to post more videos on our website about seed-saving, how to do it, just little snippets as we go along. This episode, we learned about the seedy underbelly of the gardening world. While the agricultural system has increasingly adopted hybrid seeds, the patenting of these seeds prevents seed saving. This has encouraged Denise and others in the seed community to grow and sell open pollinated seeds, which are pollinated naturally by pollinators like insects and birds, and heirloom seeds that have had the same genetic makeup for at least 50 years. Saving seeds, no matter where you get them, supports a diverse food system, and builds community. We hope that on whatever scale, you get started on growing something this season, and that you share your seeds and what you grow with your neighbors. That's all the time we have for this week. 
You can follow the link in our show notes to visit Abunar's website and check out their catalog of seeds, as well as resources for growing and seed saving. Thanks to our guest this week, Denise O'Reilly. We've been your hosts, Andrea Miller. And Charlotte Thomason. Thanks for listening. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. Thanks, as always, to the team for support on writing, editing, and production this week. You can reach us for comments or questions via our email, tara at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Terra Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. And we'll catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa.